Hello there, and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis Podcast. We've got another cracking episode ahead for you as uh, we discuss the WTA finals and everything that happened in the finale to the women's tennis season. Um, lots to talk about, lots of interesting stories. Uh, I'm here with um, usual co-host Jethro um, and special guest making um, his podcast debut, the one and only Juan Ignacio. How are you doing, Juan Ignacio? Hi, Nick. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really looking forward for this opportunity to talk about tennis with you. I, I'm excited too. I've been wanting to uh, get you on a podcast for a while, especially talking about the WTA. I think it's fair to say you are one of the most prolific WTA tweeters out there. Um, and anyone who wants to follow the WTA really should follow you. Get some good stat content out there. Um, and I don't think there's there's many people sort of on the amateur level who know as much. Well, uh, we'll uh, we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. So, um, as we said, it's the uh, we had the WTA finals um, last week in Fort Worth. Finished on Monday. Um, still find it weird they have a final on a Monday. Um, doesn't make sense to me. Um, but the eventual champion was uh, Caroline Garcia. So I figured since she made the headlines, we should make her the headline of this podcast. Um, we'll start with you, Juan Ignacio. What did you make of Caroline Garcia's performance um, in the tournament as a whole, but also specifically in the um, Her season is just unbelievable. The way uh, there's uh, a breakdown since Bad Ohenburg, uh it's just unbelievable the, the, how she progressed so much in just so so few tournaments. I have some numbers here. For example, until this tournament in Germany, she had only won nine matches, and since then won 34, including a win over world number one. So it's just amazing, especially being carried by her serve, because that's clearly her biggest weapon are her attacking style. <laughs> then she had a little of a bump with early losses in Tokyo, San Diego, and Guadalajara. But um, this, this event was just flawless. Apart from that loss against Sviantec, was just unbelievably good. And in the final, just incredible. Didn't face a break point. So just a lot of praise for her level. Yeah, for sure. Definitely uh, showed an impressive level this tournament. Kind of back to the level that she was showing on the uh, the US hard courts when she won in Cincinnati and she was looking like the favourite for uh, the US Open or she ran into Onshaber, who I think is a bad matchup for her and I think that's what undid her um, in the end. Otherwise, she may well have won that US Open but winning the WTA finals is possibly the next best thing to winning a slam uh, or an Olympic gold or probably put Olympic gold slightly above that. Um but yeah, I think I, I my assessment is the same as yours, is that the overall level that she showed throughout the uh, the tournament 
was was really impressive. Um, two matches, I think, all of her matches from uh, the the round robin when she beat Casakina in Reseto when she um, held off Sakari, really outplayed Sakari in that semi final, um, and then the final itself, um, just being that step ahead of um, Sabalenka. Uh, she just had that little bit extra. Um, and I think my assessment of the final was that uh, the return was the uh, key part. So, uh, Garcia had the slightly better return. She was making more of an impact in Sabalenka's service games than uh, Sabalenka was having on Garcia's, apart from towards the end. Um, and I also think that she handled the occasion a lot better. Sabalenka definitely dipped in the tie break in the early part of the second set. Her tennis dropped a bit. Um, but overall, um, was um, it was actually fairly close contest all the way through, apart from those marginal differences. Um, Jethro, what did you make of um, Garcia's performance? Yeah, I was really, really impressed. Uh, I wasn't. I certainly had her in my top three. I think going into the event as a potential winner. Um, you know, ever since her whenever Radicano at Wimbledon, I've just really just seen her in a different light um this season and yeah she was amazing you know in the US and yeah I just felt like the conditions would really really suit her this week and I was I was a bit surprised about Sean Texas to Sabalenka I think I fell asleep for the third set because it was super late over here Nick I know you were you were covering that on Talking Tennis and you were up you you did about six hours straight of uh covering the semi-finals and um (laughs) and yeah I I will I wasn't really too surprised I thought it was kind of a 50-50 call with her and Sabalenka. Um, but yeah, her forehand is the thing that stands out to me the most. It's such a weapon. And the, yeah, the return of Serbia, as you guys mentioned, is really, really solid. And yeah, I think she's just going to take so much confidence from this as well. And, you know, I think she's definitely in, you know, a high up slam contention next season for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was saying on that legendary six hour stream, that um, I have mixed feelings about, but um, the um, I was saying during the stream that she is probably in any of the four slams. Um, she's gone to at least the second week in all of them. She's a doubles champion at Roland Garros. Um, she's good on grass. Uh, she went deep at the US Open this year. Um, don't see why she wouldn't have any problems in Australia. Like. She's a contender at every slam now. This is the Caroline Garcia, as she's going to stay. And then she's a threat everywhere. Um, she's got the a power game that can deal with pretty much anyone. Um, her return is one of the best by tour, if not the best. Um, and um, I think, obviously, we had a little bit of a false dawn with her back in 2017 when she, she got to world number four the first time. She won to... 1,000, well, as they were called, premiers, about 1,000 events um, and semi-finals at the WTA finals. And um, it didn't quite go from there. Um, but if she's kind of here to say, particularly, you know, she seems to bounce back after firing her coach um, or speaking with her coach, maybe she should fire him. Um, speculation on my part. Um, then, yeah, she's 100% a contender in Australia and beyond. So, um, I'm excited to see what that means. Yeah, as you said, that, that's that's the fear that I kind of have. I don't know if we're going to see 
the same that happened to her in 2018 because she actually has barely nothing to defend in terms of points until Wimbledon. So she actually is the best contender for the world number one spot that currently Sviantec holds. So it's actually a big threat for her. So if we see her performing as she has been in these last months, why not seeing her going deep in Australia or Sunshine Double? Who knows? She could really be uh, a contender for, for that spot. But we don't know. We saw also these tournaments in, in Tokyo, San Diego, with some early losses, especially her return, letting her down. So I really couldn't make a prediction, but I know she could go even higher than this. Yeah, I mean, look, let's face it. We're trying to predict WTA tennis, and it's been a challenge over the last few years. Um, I'm, I, a couple of your points I find um, quite interesting that I would like to come back on. Um, do you think... Uh, let's, let's talk about the, the losses that Garcia suffered in Tokyo and San Diego. Um, was that just a loss of confidence? Was it bad matchups that she played? Maybe, or was it, do you think, more down to her deteriorating relationship with her coach? Um, or was it just disheart- being disheartened after the, the US Open semi-final? It depends on whether you watch those matches or not. If you didn't, then maybe you don't have any theories. Yes, I think it was a lot about kind of a hangover from the US Open. The loss against Jaber was really ugly. She didn't show up for that match. But also, the players that beat her were not nobodies. She lost to Shuai Yang in Tokyo, uh, third set tiebreak, uh, to Collins in San Diego, to Stevens in Guadalajara. So, aren't technically bad losses. It's, it's just the way in how she played in those matches, as I said, especially the return, that if you check the numbers, her return in those matches was as bad as at the start of the year, was barely winning points on return, so was playing a lot of tie breaks. So if she could improve with a new coach, especially that subject of the return, uh, she's going to be in a really more dangerous position. And talk to me about her being more dangerous. So obviously... Um, we may be coming at this from a perspective than most tennis fans might be. Um, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are looking for Eager's big rival on the WTA for now, because I appreciate long term it may be someone from the younger generation. And Garcia is um, 28, nearly 29. Um, but is she right now the best prospect for being the biggest rival to Iga Sviantec on the WTA mm, I don't think it's, I don't know if specifically the most, the biggest rival she could have, Savalenka in the long term could be more interesting and not just because of the match we saw this week um, but with Garcia um, yeah, for the next months, it's going to be absolutely interesting the way she, she develops her tools. Uh, we'll have to see who she hires as, as her coach. I don't know if the guy that was with her in, in Fort Worth is going to be a permanent thing or just 
was for this specific specific event. But yeah, I think it's not quite a rivalry. They played only twice, and the match that Svantec won against her in Fort Worth was uh, a declaration of intentions. I think. Yeah, that's fair enough. Because let's face it, that group stage match they played, um, Garcia tried to do to Svantec what um, she managed to do in Warsaw and completely attack on and and Biontech was just ready for it and countered it and honestly probably did the same thing to her in many ways with her return. Shiontech's return against Garcia's serve was incredible in the match. So I agree with you being a statement of intent. Um, Shiontech really came for that match. So you could be right. Maybe Shiontech will be ready for whatever Garcia throws at her in the future. Um, we'll have to, uh, to wait and see. But I certainly think that Garcia's aggressive returning style um, would, is going to cause her problems um, as it kind of did in the early stages of that match, but it will, it's going to depend on how she ma- ma- manages that on a match-by-match basis. A bit like with the Sabalenka rivalry. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there. Um, Jethro, any final words on um, on Garcia or anything we've talked about? So far? Yeah, something that's, something that's interested me just, just now in the conversation is um, obviously Garcia's 29 and, you know, we're talking about her, you know, prospects going forward and how she could form a rivalry with Shwantek and, there's players, you know, this year on the men's and the women's side who've turned 30 and the gap, the leap from 29 to 30 sounds really big. So like when a player hits 30 and they're in a bit of a rough patch, I obviously a lot of rhetoric about, oh, they too, they're getting a bit old, they're half a step slower. But when they're 29, the conversation is entirely different. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, if Garcia is 30 and she's in a slump, then the conversation is entirely different as to is this year when she's 29 and having a bit of bad form, you know, like she did before the US, um, sorry, after the US. Um, so, yeah, it's that's something that's really interesting to me is kind of how we view 29-year-olds and 30-year-olds in tennis. It's like, you know, Dominic Team, for example, is 29. He's turning 30 next year. Are people going to change their tune on, you know, his grandstand prospects? Um but I don't think it. I don't think it should. I think if it doesn't matter if Garcia is twenty nine or thirty, like you look at people playing well into their thirties and late thirties now, you know, they've all got these huge careers ahead of them. Um, and it looks like Garcia is peaking at a really, really good time. So, and there's still, you know, plenty to improve on. So, yeah, I would say that the future is still really, really bright for her. And you know, we're seeing this more and more often, right? That tennis players find their best. Uh, later in their careers and into their late 20s. We're seeing this with Jessica Pagula, another player at the WTA finals. Um, You know, we've seen it uh, in the past. I mean, and and your point about players continue to play well into their 30s. I mean, um, Simona Halep, if she comes back, is probably still going to be a contender. Um, But um, you've also got Petra Vitipa, Victoria Azarenka. Um, They're still contending well into their 30s and I know that maybe some people might think why are you comparing Garcia to them they're multiple slam champions um, but um, I think Garcia's demonstrated a level um, that puts them on par with them and you know what she's won the WTA finals I would say Petrkovitev has done that as well so um, I'd say that's again a very very strong achievement in context of Tennis, probably again the third best thing you could win outside of a slam 
um, and an Olympic gold, uh, because you have to win. You can you have to win up to five matches against the top eight in the world. Um, no other tournament would really allow you to do that. Way so, um, yeah, I I think there's nothing I, there's nothing stopping her from having like has been continuing to be a contender um, going into her thirties. Um, so yeah, looking forward to all that. Um, seeing whether she fulfills the promise that she showed as a teenager. Let's move on a little bit then. We'll come back to Garcia if it becomes relevant. But um, yeah, really good week for her. Really great result. Um, she should be proud. Uh, Arena Sabalenka, the who she beat in the final. Um, interesting event for Sabalenka because um, she definitely ended the year stronger than she started it. If you think about where she was at the beginning of the year and she was struggling with serve and the double faults. Um, and then when she kind of fixed, she seemed to fix that, but she wasn't winning titles and she still, she didn't win a title at all this year. Um, got to the top, she's got to about um, two or three finals. Um, she was definitely someone who, until the US Open, we were kind of thinking had faded a bit and then showed amazing level at the US Open, comes into um, WTA finals as a bit of a wild card. Um, and then not only does she completely outplay Iga Shiontek in the semifinals, but she really hangs with Caroline Garcia for most of the final. And had she played the big points maybe a bit differently, could have made, could have got the match back on par in the second set and made it very close, um, even though a tiebreak and a break, fairly close result. Um, yeah, other than the middle part of the match, she put in a very strong performance. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my take on Sabalenka's tournament and uh, how she played. And I think she should take some positives from it and hopefully some momentum going into 2023 to get her mojo back and be one of the top players on tour. What, Ignacio, what are your thoughts on Sabalenka? I just find remarkable how she maximised her results, given the level she wasn't able to show, as we knew in previous seasons. Uh, if you check uh, the numbers, she since she's been playing in the in the WTA Tour team in a consistent way, and she hadn't won fewer matches than this year ever. Uh, she won just 33 matches, which is her lowest ever. So. I think that's remarkable, seeing that she still ended up qualifying for the finals, ended up fifth in the rankings. She didn't want a title, that's true. But as you said, seeing the progression she had since those infamous matches in Adelaide, it's just like you just have to uh, give credit to her how she she stayed stayed there mentally, didn't never stop working. So just Congratulations to her because that's that's incredible. Just a little ironic how still she ended up losing this match because two because of two double faults in that tiebreak, which no, it was there. Those two double faults were were the only difference in that first set. 
did those double forks come at two love up as well in tight break? Have I made that up? Yeah, I think she was two, mm. two love up and then she lost it. Seven three. I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah she she was a mini break up in the start. Yeah, I think she double faulted. I can't remember the first double fault was. Um, I think it was kind of middle of the tie break or just after the start of it. Um, the second double fault was when she was set point down. Um, so she double faulted on set point. So um, that definitely didn't help otherwise. But I think she was still one mini break down. Garcia would have still had the further out but she was coming back at her you were right um yeah yeah no and that's I, I mean I remember so vividly the start of the season when she she I mean she was hitting double figures double faults you know every single match she was playing and it was it was really sad you know I felt awful for her because you know you, like you know when you're playing sport you know just at like amateur level and you just you have the yips you know like she had and you can't just can't you know get yourself through anything um it's so so frustrating and seeing you know someone you know so so incredible at, at her sport and you know going through these struggles it was really really tough to see so um I've really taken a big liking to her this season to be honest because I think she did such a you know a brave job of you know fighting past all of that and still getting good wins and you know she I think although she lost that final you know by pretty narrow margins you know I think that win over Shvantec in semi-finals probably would have been a really like rejuvenating win for her after you know such a tough spell this season obviously she was banned from Wimbledon tournament which which I think she really could have won um and we'll see what happens next year with um with Wimbledon's decision on Russian and better Russian players but yeah I really think that She's in with a good shot of Wimbledon next year. And yeah, she's I think she's just shown a really, really good attitude, to be honest. I also put her in the mix for the US Open as well, given she's reached the semi-finals two years in a row. Um that she, you've got to take that into account when you when you start looking at that. Um she's definitely much more comfortable on faster surfaces, not surprising with her game because it just amplifies it. Um yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for her that yeah, as we've said, that she she can go into 2023 um with these kind of yips behind her. Um it's never gonna fully go away, probably, but she's never got it under control. And I think she can mentally handle it. Um I certainly think conditions in Australia will favour her. Um, because again, they're fast hard courts. Um she's performed strongly there before. If you look at that match she had with Serena Williams a couple of years back, uh 2021. Um, that was an that was an interesting battle that they had. Um, so let's see how far she can get and how strongly she starts the year. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's. Um, I think she should start better than twenty twenty two because I, I I'm not surprised she started twenty two twenty two under a lot of pressure, being the number two ranked player in the world and, and being at the time the closest to Ash Barty. Um, now she's still she's still a little bit of an underdog, and I think that takes the pressure off a little bit. Um, so we'll we'll kind of see on that um, how that goes. I mean, yeah. Do you do you see things only getting better for her? What about you? So you said that it's it's her resilience one what stands up for me the most. How she never gave up on her game. 
despite her biggest weapon having let her down for basically the entirety of the year. Um, I think actually her semi-final win over Gigantic was probably among her best serve performance from her whole season. So if she can uh, get momentum from that into the off-season, uh, she has a lot of options to, to go even, even higher. Let's not forget that in 2021, she was the only one that challenged Ashley Barty when, when she was dominating, uh, even bagel her in the Madrid final. So yeah, I think people count her off really quickly because of some, some slump in the first half of the year. But you, you, you just know she'll be back where she belongs. That's for sure. That's for sure. We're looking forward to it. And yeah, um, I mean, yeah, we, we haven't really talked much about the semi-final uh, with Shviontech. I think we'll talk about it a little bit when we come to um, the, the poll section. Um, what about, okay, so yeah, so we could kind of summarise sort of both the finalist years as not a great start and then ending the year pretty strongly. Um, you, the same could also be said for one of the semi-finalists, uh, Maria Sakkari, except maybe she had a strong start, rubbish middle, great end of the year. So um, rather than a year of two halves, it's a year of two thirds um, or three thirds. Um, Zachary's last few weeks has definitely been a lot more positive uh, compared to sort of the middle of the year, as I said. Um, obviously, beginning of the year, she got to a couple of finals in St. Petersburg and Indian Wells and then went off the rails and then final in Guadalajara and the, and the semi-finals and the WTA finals, having gone unbeaten in her group. Um, it's looking a bit more positive for Zachary. Um, but, um, I mean, Jethro, what do you think of, um, of Zachary's uh, performance in the, uh, the WTA finals? Because... I wasn't surprised she lost to Garcia, but I wonder if she would be. Yeah, I, I mean, I was really, really pleased with her. And, you know, not just the WTA finals, but Guadalajara as well. Um, you know, like every win there, especially the one against Kudamatova, which meant that she qualified for the, for the finals. You know, you could just see the joy in her face and the relief. Um, and, yeah, we've talked about the Sabalen- Sabalenka struggles this year, but Zachary has had, you know, not the same problems with the serve, but not finding her game in so many matches and so many key matches. And, you know, it's it's been really, really difficult for her and I've really felt for her because she's a really, really, you know, down-to-earth girl and, you know, you can tell she's working so hard, but things just haven't really come together for her. And I know I saw a press conference of hers earlier in the season where she was saying that you're going to see a, a new Maria Zachary going forward and I'm working really hard on that and it didn't really come to fruition. And it was really tough to see. Um, so although she lost to Garcia, and I'm sure, she, I'm sure she'll be disappointed because she's got a fantastic level, you know. Um, I think, you know, final in Guadalajara, qualified for the WTA finals, semi-finals of the WTA finals. I think, you know, you, you're always going to want more as a professional tennis player and as, certainly as like a top 10 quality player. You're going to want to win these tournaments. But I think such good results in those two tournaments back-to-back is going to make her feel really good about herself. 
Yeah, she definitely shouldn't be harsh on herself after that semi-final performance. I mean, my read on it, um, having commentated on it, was very much Garcia was just the better player at the gate and Curry wasn't able to execute her ideal game. And that wasn't down to Zachary struggling to perform. That was down to Garcia uh, stopping her and really being able to execute a game that she was comfortable with. Um, she wasn't, Sakari wasn't able to hit through or out hit Garcia. Garcia was uh, too strong. Um, so I don't, I think she's just going to have to accept the fact that she came across a better player on the day and that just happens sometimes. Um, it's a, probably a better accept that loss than a loss where you don't show up because Sakari tried to show up for that match um, and just got outplayed on the day. So that was my, that was my read on that, um, that semi-final loss. Um, I mean, did you did you see that match winning Garcia? Actually, her semi-final with Garcia was the only match of the event that I didn't watch, so I can't speak on that one. But uh, talking about her season overall, uh, after her loss in the Parma final to Sherry, personally, I thought it was it was done. She was done with that. Um, also her relationship with her coach I thought maybe a change was needed but she then has spoken so highly of him and how he motivates her and seems like he's not going anywhere anytime soon Um, so I didn't expect this comeback at all I didn't see it coming but how she she bounced back in, in Guadalajara from a very tough first round she had there against Kostiuk, uh, incredible wins against uh, Collins and Kudermetova, uh, and then bring, uh, going into the WTA finals with that same level, with three incredible wins in the round robin. Uh, it's just she has a lot to be proud of, and we'll see if she can stay there fighting for the big things. Still, she's missing that that last step to actually win something. So that's the that's the question mark she she's have. But in terms of her level, we we can see it's still there. It didn't go anywhere. And that's the question mark. Isn't going to go away, is it? It's, unless she finally crosses that line, it's never going to go away. Um, I know I can see why maybe about you're talking about the coach Tom Hill, um, but I think they do have a really good relationship. I think he understands her really well, and he's been the only coach who's been able to maximise her potential. And um, I mean, she is in her her mid twenties now, so she's someone who um, you know she should be coming around to showing her max results. Um, and um, I think that um, I think that Tom is able to help her produce her best. Speaking of her best, you said that she had some good wins in the round robin. Um, obviously, you only missed one match in the whole of the WTA finals one, Ignacio. Um, what do you think was her most impressive round robin win? Mm, the one against Pegula to, to start. The, the whole tournament was impressive to me. I thought Jessica was going to have 
uh, based on their Guadalajara match, was at least going to take a set from her. Uh, it ended up being two tie breaks still, so it was pretty close. But it was in those tight situations when we saw Zachary uh, being let being let down by her game. Like those stressful situations was when she was not being able to perform her best. But that wasn't the case on that match, and I think it was. Uh, the best possible start she could ask for. Yeah, I agree. And I commentated on that match as well. Um, and yeah, it was definitely, um, it must have been frustrating for Zachary because she was the better player in that match, quite clearly. She deserved that win. And Pagula made it close because Pagula doesn't give up um, and keeps fighting. And uh, I thought it was very impressive that she kept it competitive. Um, and it was, and like you said, I think it was impressive from Zachary that she uh, didn't get discouraged. She just kept fighting. She kept trying to get herself a step ahead again. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, I agree with you. I think that was a, a very good win for, for Maria Zachary. Um, we'll see what happens with her going forward. But yeah, as I've said already, I think she'll be pretty pleased with how that went. Um, Jethro, any final thoughts on Maria Sakkari? Um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, her perseverance, you know, towards the back end of the season has uh, just really, really impressed me. Um, Ronan Nassio actually, yeah, mentioned that Palmer final that she lost to uh, Sharif, and that was really disappointing from, you know, when you, by rooting for her kind of perspective. Um, when the draw came out for that tournament, I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, if she doesn't win this tournament, what tournament is she actually going to win? And she struggled her way to the final. And then, yeah, she lost that match. And it was, it felt like a real low point for her. Um, and, you know, and she's still really young. You know, she's got a lot of time ahead of her. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a real shame. So I think the way that she, you know, came back this season has, you know, been really, really impressive. I think Sakari is, is an example of this new wave of players done in the last two years, cracked into the top 10 in their mid-late 20s. I remember she said in, in a press conference in Toronto how she was struggling and actually not enjoying her position inside the top 10 because she was still mentally not prepared for what it meant and what people expect expected from her but and it's it's the same for many other reasons not not necessarily the same ones that happened to Badosa uh, and it contavate uh, yeah special sorry especially those three that in 2021 uh, entered the top 10 for the first time so it's like a symbol of of those players but she's still there. She's going to stay there in 2023. So we'll see if now, finally, she can make that step forward into even bigger things. That's going to be super exciting if she does and really hope that she does because that's going to be great for her. It's going to be great for tennis. Because my opinion is as many tennis players being competitive as possible is great um, because you're going to get great matches week in, week out. 
Um, right. Well, I think we've been very good to our listeners um, by not starting with this player. Um, I know that Magnazio um, and I are really big fans. I think Magnazio, like almost your whole Twitter persona, is partly based on the fact that you are an Igor Sviontek fan. Um, and yeah, she's probably my favourite player. I've said this publicly several times. Jethro, I know you really enjoy um, watching her play as well. Um, sem- the other semi-finalists in the WTA finals um, ending uh, and uh, yeah, reviewing Igor Sviontek's WTA finals is tricky because you're going to be comparing it to the level that she brought throughout the year and in the group stages she was bringing that level that we've come to expect from seeing her produce in 2022 which let's face it has been the year of Igor Sviontek from a WTA um, and then the semi-final I'm very it's very easy very tempting to say that it's an anti-climax to her season, um, given how it all went down. I have my own thoughts on that semi-final and how it played out. Um, but let's start with the other super fan in the room. Uh, Juan Ignacio, what did you make of Iga Sviontek's WTA finals? I think her three rain robin matches were actually the highest level on hardcore she showed this year, maybe with Miami, but and San Diego, you know, that's a lot. Those are the three best tournaments she played on hardcore. So yes, I the the ending for for her season it's quite bitter because of that. I I didn't see that that loss coming, not because I underestimated Savalenka at all but because her level was being so high and she was being so consistent, especially on serve, that I didn't saw anyone beating her at that stage. But you can't really blame her for that. Sabalenka played incredible in that match. And it was the match number 76 of her year, if I'm not wrong. So you can't really blame her much for how things ended up going that day. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree. Savalenka played really well. I think when her surf was going, um, it was very difficult. It wouldn't be very difficult for any player to get a hold of. Um, I certainly think when she got the surf plus one going, it was working well. She was hitting some incredible winners. Um, that being said, Iga showed in the second set that she could still bring it and outplay Sabalenka. Um, I, yeah, I going into that match, I thought that Shkiontek was the favourite. I did think Sabalenka was a threat. It did feel like about time for Sabalenka to turn the rivalry, uh, to, to try and turn the tide against her in the rivalry, because yeah, it was four straight losses in the year, and Sabalenka's a better player than that, and indoors does favour her. Um, but I thought, I think Iga lost the match for two reasons. The first set, I think she got frustration and break Sabalenka in the first game. And I think that she let that get to her a bit. Um, and then the second set, the third set, it felt like she was trying to match Sabalenka's big hitting. 
kind of like she used to do in 2021, which she used to overhit um, occasionally. Um, and uh, that probably, again, that was a sign of frustration of not being able to quite match it. And uh, I wasn't sure she played that match quite right, um, just on my my read of it. Um, that's not meant to take anything away from, from Sabalenka because Sabalenka played well enough to put her in that position, like you don't, um, you don't put Iga Shvontek in that position by playing badly, and you don't. You have to still make the most of opportunities that come your way. Um, but I, I do think that um, it might have been a little bit of a disappointing loss for Iga Shvontek. Having said that, the way Garcia was playing in the final, maybe she it would have been a bit of a trouble for her anyway. And like you said, what Ignacio maybe didn't play matches by that point maybe it was catching up with her it's done with so many other players in the past as well um but that was kind of that was kind of my read on that semi-final I don't know what your thoughts are uh, only those first four games in the in the second set was when when we saw her play the the level she had shown in the round robin but apart from that i think uh, it was especially her serve uh, was going was not mixing it up as as it should only abusing m maybe of too many body serves and in the end sabalenka learned how to return that one also the the return of serve that I think it's actually the biggest asset she had uh, technically in, in this year, apart from her, her forehand, also uh, got broken down by Savalenka's serve, especially on the second serve return, was really disappointing. Um, I think those were the, the two main, main things on why she lost uh, that match. That's fair. I think that's uh, that's kind of a good breakdown of why things maybe weren't executing um, as well as they could. Um, and it is a shame compared to the level she showed. I mean, the way she dismissed Garcia um, in the round robin, given Gar what Garcia tried to describe there. I don't think Katakina and Goff really had much of a chance. The matchup really favours Fiontech and those rivalries, at least at the minute. Um, maybe Goff will be able to change that in the future, but um, as it is right now, um, Shiontek has the advantage, but um, that Garcia match was the one that impressed me the most, the way that she um, just missed French women's attempts to, um, uh, to, to to come at her with the return and, and basically. Um, Jethro, what, do you have any thoughts on um, the Eagers WTA finals? Yeah, no, I was just thinking about what you said about Katsukina and, and Koko Goff, you know, matching up quite badly against Iga. And yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, Sabalenka and Garcia are two players, you know, they they can bring it to Iga. You know, they've got a huge game, both of them. You know, Sabalenka's got massive serve and can hit her ground stokes really well. And Garcia's, you know, got a lot of power in her game as well. And Goff's not, you know, she's not a weak player at all she's got you know Wimbledon to share us watch her serving and it was phenomenal you know she has a huge serve when she's hitting her spots right but um 
she doesn't have a huge all-round game. The forehand still lacks a bit of bite and it's inconsistent. The backhand's awesome. But you need power off both wings, I think, to be eager, on, especially on a quick court. And yeah, I thought it was a bit of a sad end for Spiontek. I thought, considering the amazing year she's had, you know, I think, I don't think I'm being controversial when I, controversial, I think she's been the star of tennis of 2022. I think, in my opinion, men's and women's. Um, She's been absolutely incredible. And, you know, it does, you know, when, and when, you know, on one hand, you look at her season and you're like, well, semi final loss in WTA finals isn't really a big deal. But also, it just would have been a really satisfying conclusion, I think, to the year. But, you know, and then you look at it from another point of view and you want rivalries, you want competition in the WTA. So, Sabalenka winning that match in three, you know, is that good for tennis? It might be. I suppose we'll see dominates you know another step up but um yeah I think she'll you know she won't be too disappointed with that because she's achieved so much this season and you know she's done it on multiple surfaces as well um and you know her, her sights are going to be on Australia now where she'll be looking for revenge to her lost uh, Daniel Collins this year Mm. Sorry, yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. No, don't yeah, worry about I, it. We can cut this. Uh, out. Mm, I I don't know who I read I read this from, but someone was saying that maybe it losing not or not taking the title here uh, could bring some good things for her in the sense that you still have uh, the feeling that people will show up next year to come after you, that it's not going to be as easy as you thought this this season. Uh, next year, it's going to be challenging because all players will work whole of season to, to tie her level and she'll be the main target from everyone. So that's the main lesson she, she made uh, get from this tournament. And Sabalenka, it's certainly going to be uh, one of the biggest challenges for her if she can keep it up with the level she showed in the end. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think we've seen from other players who have had very strong seasons um, one year that the following season hasn't quite been the same. Um, if we look at Serena Williams in 2000, 2002, um, she won uh, three slams. Um, 2003, she won two. Still very impressive, but obviously um, not as strong as Justine Ennan was right with her, having a very impressive 2003 herself. Ennan in 2004 had a bit of a letdown due to injury, then had an amazing 2007 season and had a bit of a letdown in 08 when she decided to retire. Um, that probably played more of a part in it than necessarily her tennis deciding to stop. Um, and even look at Serena in sort of 20, 2013. Um, 14 was probably a little bit of a letdown in comparison, but she still won a slam. Um, 2015, Serena won three slams, could have won the Grand Slam. Um, 2016, got to um, three slam finals, won one of them. Um, 
this is all relative. They're still, if you win a slam, you've had a very good year. That's my point of view. And um, so it's not meant to be, oh, you know, you only won one time compared to winning three. That's not the point. But it is a, a marginally less impressive season. So I wouldn't be surprised if Iga has that kind of season as you're talking about, right, Ignacio, where she finds the field catching up to her that she maybe finds trying to stay ahead. I still think she, she's very well winner slam um, in 2023, probably the French, although I would I could see her winning the Australian given the steps that she's made over the last couple of years. You know, she got the fourth round in um, 2021, she's semi-finals in 2020, uh, 2022. Um, so... Um, the um, the by that trajectory, the logical next step is winning the title. Um, and she certainly seems to like it in Australia, given that she's won in Adelaide and the only person who could um, stop her at that event was Ashley Barty, who was in amazing form um, at the beginning of this year. So I um, I think that she's she's still in for a good year next year, but we need to be patient. Those of us who are fans and also people who aren't fans um, everyone needs to be patient with her. It's probably not going to be as impressive as 2022. Yeah, no, I agree. And also, it's so easy to forget that this girl is 21 years old. Like, the dominance that she's shown this year is just inexplicable. And, it, and you know, we've seen... Players do so well, you know, when they're really young in the past, like Serena and Venus. And, so, you know, so many players in the last 20 years have, have done that. But in an era where the competition, you know, on both sides, I think men's and women's, the competition is gradually just getting better and better with every single section of players. To do, to do this, to such, you know, have such a dominant year at such a young age is really, really impressive. And, you know, we, we're not even seeing peak Iguishwanta yet. You know, it's she's still a work in progress, which is kind of terrifying, really, um, to those who are struggling to keep up with her. So, yeah, 2023 is going to be really interesting. I wouldn't also be surprised if, yeah, if there is a bit of a dip and she might, I hope, hopefully she doesn't, you know, lose all her points from, you know, early on in the year. Um, but if she does, you know, I'm sure she'll just come back stronger. But, um, yeah, it's it's a very, very exciting career ahead of her and it's already such a great one, which I think is so interesting. Yeah, for me, I think Iga Shviontek has already proved herself as one of the all-time great players just by what she's achieved at 2021. I would say to be in a category of all-time great, you have to want at least three slams. She's done that already. She's been, in addition to which, she's been ranked world number one and gone on one of the longest winning streaks in um, open era history, definitely in the, the modern era, the sort of the late nineties, two thousands onwards, the two thousands onwards, this this century, um, and she's had one of the best tennis seasons ever because it's obviously had two slams and an insane winning streak, very similar to Justine Enan's two thousand seven season, which um, I would say um, is probably the most comparable in terms of achievements um, and one that. I think a lot of tennis fans who who remember that time look very fondly back on 2007 was just getting into tennis. Um, so I remember sort of seeing Enan being a contender and I liked her game. Um, so for me, I think, yeah, 
Um, Iga has has nothing to worry about. She's got to take everything one step at a time. I think. Um, yeah, I think that, like Jethro said, she's probably been the most impressive player of the year, men out of the men's or the women's game. Um, so I think, despite maybe how we feel about the WTA final and how it will finish, um, which by the way, um, what I was looking up earlier. Um, actually, some of the most impressive seasons in WTA history have not ended with a WTA finals title. If you look at Serena's 2002, Serena Williams' 2002 season and 2015 season, where she won three slams both years, um, was by far the best player on tour. She didn't win the WTA finals in those years. Um, it was down to, um, I think, Kim Kleister's won in 2002 and Agnieszka Bradwanska won in 2015. Um, you Enan um, didn't win. I think uh, Enan won two thousand seven. But um, you know, Serena is kind of the bar that you set. Then, yeah, if you've had a great year and don't win the WTA finals, it's not uh, a disaster by any means. No one's really going to remember. That. They're going to remember this. Yeah, just a, a quick shout out to uh, Technofiber Rackets, who had three number ones at the exact same time this year with uh, Iga Medvedev and Joe Salisbury in the doubles, which uh, is very cool. And growing up watching tennis, it was it was just Rafa and uh, and Roger, with, so it was just Babalat Wilson, and then Novak had his rise, and he was using a Wilson K blade. It was all Babalat and Wilson, and then Head became big. So it was nice to see another, you know, I guess a very popular racket choice being a. Uh, so prominent with with the top players on both sides. Oh, just say that also Mertens with a tiny fiber was number one in doubles. So it was the four at the same time, actually. Yes, get that doubles representation in there. Women's double gets forgotten about way too much. Um, just to check, Jethro, you don't play with a techno fiber racket. You're not representing them at the minute. No, I don't. I, I, I'm considering getting one, but I'm, yeah, I'm in the market for a new racket and I think I can spend some money on it. And I just spent money on a new microphone, which I'm using right now. So uh, maybe I'll have to wait a little bit. But um, yeah, no, I just, they, I, I watch a lot of ten, tennis racket review videos on YouTube and all the reviews for like Eager's racket have been really, really, really nice. Medvedev's uh, is great as well. Um, so yeah, and they're clearly doing something right with, uh, with all these top players. Okay, Fiber, if you're listening, um, we're up for sponsorship. Get Jethro a racket. Um, actually, what Al- racket does Alcaraz use? I don't actually Alcaraz oh. uses the Pure Aero. Oh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's yeah, it's a bubble light. It's one of the. Um, it's a it's a it's a specific version right. of the pure arrows has got darker darker colors on it and runa actually uses the same racket as well um and they wear the same kit so telling them apart and they play quite similarly as well so telling those two apart isn't going to be easy apart from their faces but um yeah you know um bubble still did good but yeah it's nice to see another racket company you know having a lot of success uh, i don't think my racket manufacturer still exists i've been playing with the same racket for over 10 years um what racket's that it's a prince racket oh yeah john john isn't the last the last prince man to to fall eventually i'm sure i read that yeah. they went bust a while ago so but they still make rackets for him i think 
Yeah, they do. They do go best. David Ferrer also used Prince, which um, back and um, back in the day, my coach was a Prince rep. So I got on a racket. Once. Sharapova, she was uh, one of the Prince yeah. Prince users. So I don't know. I'm I'm not in the market for a new racket yet, but um, you know, it seems like Technofiber and Babala are. Although having said that, the Roger Federer fan in me also would look at a Wilson racket. Yeah, his racket's like super heavy, hard to use, I've heard. But it is really nice, the pro staff. Um, head as well, Head do really nice. Well, you know, got a lot of, you know, got yeah. Zverev and Sinner, uh, Schwartzman, Fritz, Murray. Murray. Lots of, lots of good HP, head, right? And Djokovic, yeah, yeah. So I already mentioned Djokovic switching earlier, but yeah, of course, Djokovic. Um, and he's been, you know, their main, main man for years. Right. We've got on a tangent of um, rackets, <laughs> which probably might need to get cut out. But uh, um, but let's let's roll back. Okay, so um, I think we can kind of say. I mean, when it comes, do you want to have a final word on um, Eager's season? Just to run the episode, how amazing the progress has been and how much quicker than expected it was. I think I said it many times, but in these like predictions for the year, uh, the goals for, for here were basically to to reach uh, WTA 1000 final on hard courts. And she not only did that, but won three and another slam and another 500. 500 and reach the, the WTA final. So we have to put in perspective uh, this, and I think time will give us that chance because uh, I think we haven't still realized uh, how insane what happened this year with her was. Yeah, you're right. That's going to be an achievement that we'll fully realize with time. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully that time won't be too long. Um, that's, I mean, um, go on. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna be surprised if, if in the end this was actually the best season of her career. So from this, I mean, if you make the you win three slams or make the calendar year grand slam, that 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 could be even better. But as I said, I won't be surprised. If this was her peak season, so that's also when when we saw him, when we see her maybe struggling a bit more against the competition that will that will come to to fight against her. We'll will realize how incredible it was to dominate the field in the way she did this year. That's a very good point, um, and you're right. It's going to be very hard to top this season. As you said, either the only way of beating of entering the season would be to win three slams or the calendar year, uh, which is you know, let's face it, even Serena Serena Williams managed to do the three, but she struggled to do all four. Um, and I said, even if Eager wins, has another season where she wins two slams, is unlikely to go on this insane streak again. So um, yeah, I I could I agree with you. I think um, she's going to have to really push herself way beyond to to better that year um in her career but hey you know we know she's got a talent she could show all of us up uh, all of us pessimistic fans up um 
But regardless of how she does, I'm still going to thoroughly enjoy watching her play tennis. Um, I think she's got a forehand on tour. I think she's got a really solid backhand that is very underrated. Um, she does everything so well and so smartly. And um, the variety that she can produce with her shots um, is going to make her every match of hers worth watching from my perspective um, for years to come. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we uh, we get a big level from her on grass at some point in, in the near future as well. You know, I know it takes a while if you're not used to the grass. Um, and we see people on both sides of the tour always, you know, having their struggles. They could be like a top 10, top five player, but it turns out they turn up to Wimbledon, you know. Pablo Carreno Bustel on the men's side, off the top of my head, you know, who won Montreal this year, has still never won a match at Wimbledon. And he's been in the top 10 and made multiple Grand Slam semifinals. Um, so for Igor, I would really like to see her, you know, mix second week there. And, you know, maybe, maybe even being with a chance of winning the title. That might probably won't happen next year. I think. And around from her favorite to the players over the years, we struggle with that transition. So, level of grass, and by then, you know, she can really just be a contender every single slam, which I don't think is far away at all. Uh, I mean, look, I would love to say seeing well at Wimbledon and Ball. So, um, uh, you okay, we're back. Um, okay, so let's um, talk about um, maybe some of the rest of the field in the WTA finals. Um, is there any, um, I'm going to ask you guys, do you, is there a player that you want to focus on for a couple of minutes each? Um, to uh, just discuss um, about their season or how they did the WTA finals. Um, I will, I'll go with mine first, so I'll give you guys time to think. Um, I'm going to say Daria Kasatkina for me, um, just because, yeah, uh, sorry, Juan Ignacio. Um, I'm going to say Daria Kasatkina for me, just because A, that match against Garcia in the uh, group stage is was really great um, and uh, probably the best match of the tournament. Definitely the final set. I love seeing the contrast of styles. Um, I love seeing them play so well. I love Kasakina really pushing herself. Um, I like Kasakina as a player anyway and as a person. Um, so I was just pleased to see her doing well um, and. Um, uh, so, and I think actually that performance that Garcia had to produce to beat her was probably what gave her the momentum to win the title. Um, so, yeah, Caroline Garcia probably can thank Daria Kasatkina for, uh, in part, for her title. But overall, Kasatkina was also um, very much in the mix. Um, who else did she beat? No, which group? She beat off as well um, in that group, and that was a good win for for Kasatkina. So, I think a lot. A lot of people thought she might get steamrolled, and she really didn't. Um, she really stepped up and showed that she belonged in the in the top eight. So, um, yeah, I think 
I think for me, Dario Casacchina and that match was one of my highlights of the uh, WTA finals. One um, Ignacio, you look like you're agreeing with me. Yeah, I was going to say Casacchina, mainly because uh, the other three players were at least disappointing in my perspective. What we saw from Goff, Jabber, and, and Pegula wasn't worth what I was expecting. So I, I might uh, talk a, a bit about Ons. Um, she started against Sabalenka. Yes. I, watching that, I, I couldn't believe the match she lost that day. Um, she was a set. Uh, But the way the way she then uh, bounced back to beat Pegula in the second in the second match, which was uh, the most important for her because losing that one would mean that she was uh, eliminated and played really bad in the in the first set, lost it six one. But then in the second and third, uh, she really brought the best from her from her level. So I was really impressed by, by those two sets, especially because for the way she had played that against Sabalenka. And after set, I thought that it was kind of over for her. And we, we know that she doesn't really do well when she's frustrated. So how she managed to uh, come back from that set and to beat Pegula uh, and and fight for the qualification in the third match was what could stand up for me the most. Kind of in tandem, really at this tournament where they kind of both just they're I think they're emotional. I think they're, you know, they're very drained. They're very tired and their emotional energy was a bit all over the place. It was time when Pagoda just didn't look like she wanted to be out there. Um, and it was a shame for me because she's had such a fantastic season. She's been so consistent and she's made really, loads of really good runs and she's, you know, been one of those players on the WTA tour who's finally, you know, consistent and getting lots of really good results. And, beating all the players that she should. Tennis and, you know, working incredibly hard every day. You know, she could sit back and just let life go past her because, you know, it, it could be incredibly easy. But she is working her absolute arse off to be the absolute best player that she could be. Um, and she shows a really, really good attitude. She's really, really, you know, she's a really nice person. And, you know, I'm, I've just been really, really impressed with her this season. I haven't really taken much notice for, before 2022, but, you know, I've, she stood out to me as someone who's, you know, who works really, really hard. And, you know, I'm not, do I think she's going to win a Grand Slam? I don't know. 
does she need a bit more of a killer killer weapon and a bit more bit more edge to her game? Probably. But yeah, um, she's certainly cementing herself as a very solid top ten WTA player, which is really not easy to do in this in this era. Yeah, I think you've said a lot of what a lot of people are saying about Jessica Kuda. It's what I would probably say about Jessica Kuda if I was articulate as you, Jethro. Um, but um, I I suggest that just leaves well. Let's let's talk. I, I will talk a little bit about Coco Goff just because she's what's left. But like I agree with you, kind of. Um, she had a very similar event to uh, Pagula, I think. Pagula actually made her matches semi-competitive, to be fair. I don't think she was far off, even though she was outplayed for most of them. I think she she kept herself in the mix um, just in case there was a dip in her from her opponent. Um, Goff, I think, probably ran out of steam, although she seems to be playing all right at the Virgin King Cup um, as we speak. Uh, but yeah, I think... Um, Goff will probably have learned a lot from her WTA finals debut and uh, she's had a good year. She's 18 years old. She's been, she's now top 10 in singles and doubles. Um, well, well deserved um, with, um, with her place. Um, actually, sure. I'm going to, before we kind of round up, um, Juan Ignacio, in case I am, um, you probably watched the doubles, I don't know, but you mentioned Elise Mertens earlier being world number one, and she and Veronica Kudimitova won the title, beating the number ones and probably heavy title favourites, Krajikova and Siniakova in the final in an insane final set tiebreak, final side champions tiebreak. I think they had to come from seven, what was it, seven two down to win it? Seven two, yes. Like, did you watch that? I only watched the, the tiebreak, I, I have to be honest. But if you watch the tiebreak, the tiebreak's enough, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we knew they were a good doubles team. Um, they're both very good doubles teams, but um, maybe a little bit of an upset. Um, really great result for Mertens and Kuzumitova, though. I think it's definitely an upset. Even if you are the basically the second best team in the world, beating the Czechs, it's quite an achievement that they won three Grand Slams. Uh, I think they, they lost only three matches all year before the WTA finals. So, yeah, I, I thought they were they were going to, to take this one too. They were the defending champions. beating They beat Mertens, actually, in the final last year in Guadalajara. So, I was utterly impressed with, with the final result. But you can really... You can't really... Uh, take anything away from from the year Krejciko and Siniakova had. Now it's a it's a shame it's a shame uh, her Billie Jean King Cup situation having to play the final in on Monday and today she had to retire from from her match against Dobljanovic. Is it's just disgraceful the the schedule. I, I really. I really hope for next years they come up with with a solution because it's just cruel for for the players. It is it is a ridiculous setup. It's come down to the WTA and the ITF not working together on it um, and coordinating properly. Um, I think the WTA maybe moving the WTA finals on Sunday would help a little bit, but not by much. Um, but ideally, they need to make sure that. Um, the Beijing King Cup finals 
and the uh, and the WTA finals are at least in the same time zone or as close as you can get. Um, yeah, that was a that was a ridiculous setup, really. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see about that. Well, hopefully um, we can enjoy the um, the Billie Jean King Cup. Um, I guess to I think this kind of covers our WTA finals. I guess for the final thoughts, um, let's um, say well, let's, let's take a look at maybe the the four semi finalists that we kind of discussed in depth. Um, and they've got a good opportunity to kind of launch pad into 2023. Um, so we'll start with you, Jethro, and then we'll go to you, Juan Ignacio. But um, what would you say would be good targets for the four semi-finalists to set for themselves in 2023 to do, not necessarily to whether they will do it, but what would be a, for them a good target? Um, yeah, okay, I'll start with Maria Zachary. Um, I would say at least a grand slam final in singles um and be targeting a masters 1000 probably on a hardcore well it could be clay and you know either either one um i would put those as my base expectations for a, definitely at least a 250 and a 500 title um you know break break the duck there and then you can push on and start thinking okay i can win these titles Let's go win some bigger ones now is kind of what I'm hoping for her. Um, Sabalenka, kind of for me, I think, yeah, a Grand Slam final as well. Maybe even, you know, I think she can win any of them, at least, you know, Australia, US Open or Wimbledon. If Wimbledon changes their rules on Russians and Belarusians, I would say Sabalenka has to target that Wimbledon because I think she's probably the best player on grass. Um, you know, I, Rebecca had a fantastic run and Ons is really good there, but I think Sabalenka stands out to me personally. Um, so, yeah, I think, and Sabalenka again targets this for sure. Um, when it comes to Garcia, I think Garcia has to be looking at winning Grand Slam next year as a realistic ambition. Um, not, not necessarily Roland Garris, but yeah, I, I would say Wimbledon and Australian Open are very much one of all for for Garcia. Um, I think all four of them should be targeting Masters One Thousand titles. You know, they've all got the level. They've all they can all play really really well for a week. Um, bit concerned about next year with making certain tournaments, you know, Masters One Thousand tournaments two weeks long. Um, I don't think that is going to result in positive things for players' well being and bodies. But we'll see how it turns out. Um, and eager. I would say minimum, she'll really, really be desperate to defend that French Open title. Um, so defend that, win either Australia and the US and make second week of Wimbledon, for sure, I think would be a good ambition to go for. And two or three Masters 1000s at least, you know, maybe defend Indian Wales or Miami. If she can defend both, I'll be amazed, even more amazed than I already am at her level. Um, but yeah, multiple Masters 1000s. I think clay ones, especially uh, like Madrid, Rome, you know, for sure. Yeah, those are my those are my uh, targets for those four. Mm, I think you you rounded it up pretty accurately. So to make it quickly for Sabalenka uh, to stay inside at least the top five, I think 
is it's what she should be aiming for and at least up one big title i don't know if a grand slam or a wta 1000 but it's what she should be aiming for again like uh, she was she's been doing in the last four years each year winning at least one 1000 so for her that's that uh, garcia it's it's so hard to to say something honestly as i said i don't know if she if from here she's going to go up or down could be either way but to make it uh, realistic uh, at least uh, one one uh, wt 1000 title she should be uh, she should be really hoping for looking for for that one um Sviontek won Grand Slam, and I think staying as number one for the entire year could be the, the greater goal, uh, leading the, the rankings for, for the entirety of, of the season and finishing again as number one, which would be kind of insane because it's doing the same again for a, another whole season. And who am I missing? Mm, Sakari. Maybe a, a Grand Slam semi-final. Maybe she could make one step, one step further and, and make it a final. And hopefully, just one title at this point. Yeah, I don't care which really which category it is, but maybe a 500 could be a good start for her. Yeah. Um... I I think yeah you you I think this is a a reasonable set of goals I'd probably share a lot of them Zachary for me get a WTA five hundred I think that's a big enough title that's going to make a splash and it gets um sort of yeah it breaks that duck um Sabalenka I agree with you Jethro I think she should definitely aim for a Grand Slam final I think she, it's time to push herself to that level um Eager again agree. Grand Slam title. I like the idea of also setting uh, herself a goal of saying world number one, or at least year-end world number one again at the end of the year. Um, maybe Garcia should set herself the target of just staying in the top 10 so she, didn't, uh, so she can avoid a 2018 situation. Um, staying in the top 10 would be would be pretty good rather than necessarily setting title goals given how uh, volatile um, she is as a player. Um, I mean, obviously, I've focused on the four stage finals because we've spent the most time on this podcast talking about them. Um, are there any players that maybe you want to throw out there as someone who you want to see perform well in 2023? Or should be setting himself some big goals in 2023? I think, personally, uh, Rybakina, it's, it's a player that I really like a lot. And yeah, this this Wimbledon situation really uh, didn't make justice for for the analysis people has have around her season because uh, I made the exercise uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, comparing her numbers with Gobs from this season and you can actually see how their years have been almost identical in every department except for. The one Grand Slam title instead of a of a Grand Slam final, but 
win percentage, uh, number of wins, uh, finals, uh, performance in big tournaments. Their seasons have been almost identical, and we see that one is a top 10 player and the other one is just up outside even the top 20. So I'm really looking forward for what uh, Rybakina can bring next year. If, if we can see finally uh, taking a step forward in to perform consistently in all big events, not just having these one-time peaks as we saw maybe in Wimbledon and Cincinnati that were her big, her best weeks of the year. So I really hope we, we can see her more frequently and if she can finally break inside the top 10. Yeah, I guess my uh, my player who I want to see do well next year is uh, Paula, Paula Badosa. Um, absolutely loved her Indian Wells run last season. I uh, thought she was just magnificent in that, in that run. Played such a good final against Azarenka. Um, and yeah, it's been really tough for her this season. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, small injuries here and there that have either resulted in retirement or just, you know, her not playing well and, you know, a lot of, a lot of stalls to her season. But there's been some really, really good moments. Um, you know, that that win over, I actually had Gavitova as winning Wimbledon this year after she won Eastbourne. I just had a, it was just a hunch, I suppose. And she ran into Badosa and I thought, oh, I haven't really seen much of Badosa on grass. I don't think she's going to do a whole lot. And she played incredibly. I mean, that for me, was one of the highest performances of a WTA player, at least, you know, at least a Grand Slam level this season. And she was incredible. So, um, you know, the tennis is there when she's aggressive, when she's, you know, she's not making so many unforced errors. I think she is, she does belong as a top five player. Um, and I think she may have suffered, you know, as being, you know, she was ranked too high, I think, for where she was in her career at number three. And yeah, I think next season, I hope she's, you know, she's just, she's a bit more reset and, you know, she has those goals in mind because her level is definitely Grand Slam worthy, I think. I would like to see her in peak form against Iga playing her best at Roland Garros. I think that would be a really fun match. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully hoping that, you know, she has a, a really big season next year. Yeah, I think it'd be really great to see. Um, would love to see both those players up there next year. Um, I'm also, for me, I hope Leila Fernandez recovers um, as well. That like she, because there were points this year where she was showing uh, her top level. And she was really unfortunate with what happened in uh, Roland Garros um, this year with the injury. Um, so hopefully now that's fully recovered, she'll be back to her best and she'll be competing with the top level. Um, where she deserves. Um, but yeah, definitely we'll be up to seeing Rebekina and Adossa in the mix next year. I think they both bring some great qualities to tennis. Um, I think that's our wrap-up for women's tennis in 2022. I mean, unless you're watching the Billie Jean King Cup, um, which you definitely should. It's a great event. And uh, I believe it's going on as we, as we record. Um, but the... But after that, obviously, unless you're keeping up with the the Challenger Tour or the WTA 125K Tour, um, then there's not much else um, going on until January next year, which I'm looking forward to um, as uh, tennis player, tennis players and fans go into hibernation for six months uh, or six weeks, even six weeks. 
um and uh but hopefully um you've enjoyed our chat um it's been great having having you on Juan Ignacio thanks for, thanks for joining us thanks to Jethro um my fellow co-host um for for coming on and we will be coming to you very soon for an ATP finals preview um with um Shuhari, Jethro um and maybe a special guest or two but uh, you'll have to wait and find all, out who all that will is. be revealed soon all, all will be revealed uh, all cheers, uh, cheers for listening guys thank you very much thanks cheers, for guys. the invitation